Osiris. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com. Hey, this is your McAuliffe from Jefferson Airplane and Hot Tuna, and you are listening to Rock and Roll Archaeology. DIY and How Studios presents Deeper Digs in Rock, part of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, on with the show. Hello, friends. Welcome to Deeper Digs in Rock, a production of Rock and Roll Archaeology. Christian Swain here behind the mic in San Francisco. Hey, thanks once again for joining us. In Deeper Digs, we go a little further, dig a little deeper into specific topics that tie in with rock and roll history, the music, the culture, and the technology. It's the companion show to our episodic overview of rock history, the Rock and Roll Archaeology podcast. I read the news today, oh boy. A rock and roll archaeology can now be found on Spotify. Uh, maybe you are listening to us right here and right now on the service. If so, uh, you may be a new listener. Welcome. And if you've just switched over, well, then good for you. Okay, uh, check out the website if you get a chance. And if you are feeling groovy, click the support the shows tab. Uh, do what you think to do from there. Okay, thank you. What a treat for everyone. Undeniable legend with us today. From one of the first bands in the British invasion to set foot on American shores in the mid-1960s, a man some credit by way of being handy with a razor blade on an old speaker cone, of creating fuzz, making distortion as art form. Yes, I am talking with Mr. Dave Davies today. The Kinks are one of our favorites. Just go listen to episode 11 of our main series to hear the whole story. Here are the cliff notes. You Really Got Me and a string of hits sets the UK on fire. They come to America's conquering heroes in the wake of the Beatles and had the pop rock chops to make it big here. And boy, did they ever, uh, briefly. Uh, there were problems. Bad management, bad blood, bad antics on the road, which actually led to the Kinks being banned from performing in the States for four long years. When their compatriots The Who and The Stones are laying the groundwork for superstardom. Well, now, what can a poor boy do? Uh, internalize and make the best of it. Go with what you got. Keep a stiff upper lip. And that's what they did. Brother Ray began writing very English songs about very English things. Sure, it didn't cross over to America so much at the time, but it made them hugely influential at home. 
uh, 90s Britpop, anybody? In the 1970s, they make a big comeback stateside, continue to write great songs, get the big contract from Clive Davis, and the life they thought was lost in the 1960s was now arena-filled parties for all involved. Today, they have assumed their rightful place in the pantheon of rock gods, along with the other original Brits that rocked our world. Dave, Brother Ray, Mick Avery, and the late Peter Quaife are part of rock and roll canon. As you will hear in this interview, uh, there may be life left in the old Muswell hillbillies. October 2018 is a special one for Dave, a real family affair. On the 12th, he has a new album just out of material originally recorded in the 1970s called Decade, actually helped along by sons Martin and Simon looking in all the nooks and crannies of the Davies house. Another son, Daniel Davies, comes out with his album Events Score. And the 50th anniversary of the Kinks' seminal album, The Kinks Are the Village Green Preservation Society, is out as well. Uh, Father Christmas has come early for the Davies clan. Okay, uh, let's have a spot of tea with Dave Davies. Welcome to Deeper Digs in Rock, Dave Davies. How are you today? I am fine, Christian. Nice to speak to you. Yeah, yeah. It, this is fantastic. I mean, you you know, you are a, a real legend, uh, one of the original British invasion guys. Uh, but before we get to that, let's let tell me about the new album, Decade. Uh, I, I think it's a bit of a family affair, right? Well, yeah. It's um, Decade is, will be out at the beginning of uh, October. Mm-hmm. And it is a, a project that um, I put together with the help of my sons, Martin Davies and, and Simon Davies, who was the producer. I think he's done a great job on it. And it's a, an album of, of um, unreleased recordings that I made in the 70s, mm-hmm. hence decade, or decade, the decade of, right, right. of the 70s, yeah. So it's wonderful after all this time to finally get these songs together and produce and so they can see the light of day. So I'm very excited about the prospects of decades coming yeah, and, and, and literally the light of day. I, I mean, I, I believe some of these uh, tracks were like uh, hidden uh, uh, like under your bed and in closets and things like that. Yeah, they were. We, you know, they were in attics and literally under beds, and then we, and the guys, Martin and Simon, pulled this stuff together and we listened to it, and Simon produced it and made it as good as he could, and they were very, very pleased with it. Yeah. So, and and this is kind of a companion to 2011's Hidden Treasures, an album of songs you first recorded in the 1960s, right? 
Well, yeah, you could could say that in a way, but um, I never these recordings on decade. I didn't actually at the time. I didn't actually know what to do with the recordings, or or even if I would finish them all. So you were just kind or, of spending time in Conk Studios at the time. Yeah, I mean the earliest recording of, of a decade is, was actually recorded at. Uh, um, um, where was that? A studio called Morgan Studios in in North London, mm-hmm. and where we recorded albums like um, Lowly versus Barrelman. We did uh, those sort of recordings. So, but most of them were actually recorded um, at, at Conk. Some recordings were made at the old Apple Studios. Oh, but, um, uh, yeah. not um, uh, not Abbey Road, but the the uh, the Beatles Apple oh, yeah. uh, building. Yeah, they go back that that far. So yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, it was, it was really enjoy- enjoyable. It was emotional. Oh, to go back project. and re and revisit oh, all of this. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. You know, just going, finding them to begin with. I mean, what a treasure hunt. Uh, and then, uh, you know, putting the tapes on, uh, of which I know there's a process that you have to do with old tapes. You have to warm them up. And uh, and then I think you you very quickly transpose uh, them to digital, right? Yeah, you bake them. It's a, it's a procedure. And then transfer it to digital yeah. format. And uh, so we're lucky we had that. Expertise and Simon mixed them and and added some extra things to it sonically to make it enhance it. Yeah, That's so, quite a, so it's it not took all about three years. Oh, really? Three years, huh? Wow. Probably from like start to finish, mm-hmm. and, and uh, it was a. Well, literally a labor of love, although some of it was a bit painful <laughs> emotionally. Really? It was, yeah. Uh, yeah. Was there one, well, yeah, one in know, particular that just really floored you and you had a hard time even listening to? Well, I think a few songs were like that. You know, when you sit down and get, revisit all these emotions and feelings that you went through at the time and you think... You know, but sometimes it's good to, to con- confront your your inner feelings and get this stuff out. And I'm really pleased I finally managed to get it out, so everybody can can listen to it. Yeah, so 13 tracks, and uh, Cradle to Grave is released already as a preview of the album, and people can find yeah. it uh, streaming or uh, or to, to buy. And it's a lushly produced track that uh, certainly evokes uh, like early 70s British glam is kind of what I heard, which uh, predominated uh, the London scene at the time. I believe the initial recording was in 1973 for that song, right? Yeah, um I kept coming back to it in, in 73, but it was a song I wrote really a, a, about my own life and my reflections on, on how I saw life at that point in time. But Running from cradle to grave. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and all the problems and all the the, the, the things that happened to you. So it's, it's quite, um, the whole album's quite a sort of an inner journey, really. It was, you know, I'm really pleased we finally got the project out 
I'm finished. Yeah, I can't wait to hear the rest of the of the album, the, the other twelve songs. So, uh, is is Cradle to Grave kind of a, a good preview of uh, of the album? The other the other songs kind of fit along with that. Yeah, I think um, surprisingly enough, although the songs were recorded over ten years yeah. or within, they're not uh, sequential like linear mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. They're just Simon decided we put the songs together to see if they fit musically and sonically right. rather than you know from A to Z sort mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. So, and I think it works. I think they're very. Um, Complimentary. The running order is quite complimentary, although obviously that that it recorded over a few years. They have a as a, a, a sonic theme or a, mm-hmm. a tone or flavour to them. So I'm so quite maybe, happy. Maybe like that the they early seventies stuff sounds a certain way, and the later seventies stuff, uh, we we might be able to pick out uh, like the the time uh, frames of each of the original tracks. Yeah. So I think so, but at the same time, they have a sonic um, thread, mm-hmm. you know, right? Produced, and so it's interesting from that point of view that the songs do complement each other. Each other, so it's um, it should be an interesting journey for the listeners. So you took uh, these songs that were originally recorded in the 1970s, and now uh, Simon has kind of uh, updated them for the ears of the 21st century listener. Well, in a way, they obviously have got the feel and uh, the sentiments of it at that time. Yeah. But I think we wanted to keep that fairly... You know, real. We mm-hmm. wanted to keep recording sounding real, so you could tell that that where they were, you know, what time they were recorded. Yeah. But I think obviously Simon has, has kind of made a great job of of weaving in, you know, modern technology and the original recordings and everything in between. So I think he's on the magnificent job yeah and of course it has a great balance between the two i can hear that as it was just the single single cradle to grave yeah and it's a and it's a reflect song it's a philosophical song it's about my journey and hopefully our journey as human beings and all emotions that, that touch all of us you know it's the great thing about them but writing is that sometimes you think you're writing about your own feelings and your immediate environment, and then you listen to it more and you realize they're kind of uh, writing about all of us. We all go through these. That's the great thing about rock and roll. It's about emotions and... Those universal feelings. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah. And I, I like to think that most of most people can relate to these feelings. It's a blessing of rock and roll, I think. So what, what's, the next, what's the next single going to be? Well, I'm not absolutely sure yet. Um, I think it might be uh, a Same Old Blues, a track from the from decades. Uh-huh. But I think that there's, um, there's many tracks that could, could pop up and... 
assert themselves. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a it's a different world in how these things are determined today than uh, than back oh, yeah. when you guys first started. Definitely. So it's very different. It's almost like it's like a, you know everybody has a different view, but everybody it's like a, a committee in a way. <laughs> As opposed like, to just Shell Tommy telling you what to do, right? Oh, <laughs> I like, no, it was great working with Shell. He was, I think in the early, early years, we really needed someone to help, to well, encourage. Whip you boys into shape, huh? Uh, well, not really. Because <laughs> we, we worked as, always worked as a team. Yeah. I think that was a, that's a great thing. If you can get on board as a... Well, everybody on board on track with a similar plan, you can achieve a lot. Yeah. So, uh, how many of these songs are you working into the live act? Well, um, I've touched on a few ideas. Probably, we might even use three or four, but we'll change maybe the arrangements and maybe the key, the keys of them. But we'll, I'll try and include a couple or three songs. Mm. Different version of the songs mm. because the tone, the sound of, of, of the pieces are very different. It's a different area, but we can still, you know, a song is a song is a song. So if we I can interpret the song in, in slightly different ways for live venues. Of course, of course, and uh, uh, you kind of play around with uh, the old classics as well, uh, and uh, oh, keep, yeah, try to yeah. keep them fresh and keep them fresh for the band, keep them fresh for the audience, right? Yeah, I love. Yeah, but that's what, what I love about playing live is that even old songs you can make them feel new. Like the audience, if the audience are any into it, they all t- everything takes on new life. And uh, I, I like to mix the new with the old and, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and see how it flows. So I'm looking forward, forward to playing some of these songs live and see that how they integrate with the existing songs in the, in the set. No, because I also do a couple of songs from my last album that I recorded with one of my other sons, Russell Davis. Right. An al- album called Open Road, which was out about a year ago. Mm-hmm. So I I flag up the songs from that album, and um, that was a, g- a great joy to be involved in that project as oh, well. Oh, I bet. So, I bet. You're, so so your, your whole family's uh, still very musical, huh? Yeah, it's true. And my... My son from, um, I got a son called Daniel Dave, who's, who's releasing an album in October as well. Wow, uh, it is a, a big Davis. So, uh, uh, it, what do you it's going to be a big Dave, month. Dave October, so Davis October. So. Dave Tober. <laughs> Dave Tober. Let's, let's, we'll, now we'll call it Dave Tober. All right. <laughs> Do you uh, yeah, so you still enjoy touring? Even fancy hotels and nice coaches, touring coaches, it's still a bit of a chore. But you still enjoy it, huh? Yeah, it's always been the traveling's always been been the the worst side of it, most exhausting. Yeah, but when you get up on stage, those, and that those vibe, two hours or so are just you know that's where thing come come to life. That's yeah. the great thing about live live shows and. It's like a drug. 
You know, it's well, a, Angie, once you, you get you it, it's hard to give uh, yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, but, um, I know. But there are practical reasons also. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, especially now with uh, the recording industry in the state that it is, uh, you know, uh, the the fact is, is most uh, musicians are making their money on the touring side of things. Yeah, I mean, live touring is really an important aspect of music nowadays. Yeah. But that's why I like mixing the old and new, so you can still, do, you you know, play with new ideas and new arrangements and. You can, you know, have like all day all of the all of the night and old songs and sort of mix it up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure. I, hey, I've I watched a few videos of uh, you recently out playing, and you know, uh, it still looks like a gas. The audience still looks like they're having a great time. You certainly look like you're having a great time, and so as long as you can uh, keep it up, keep on doing it, right? Yeah, it's something special about playing live, and. Um, and especially now a decade coming out, and at last, all those ideas that, I, that have been in the background and half-finished ideas and songs that nev- nobody ever heard, I'm really looking forward to, to see what people think. Yeah, see yeah. What- well, uh, uh, you know, I mean, definitely Hidden Treasures was well-received, so I can't imagine that uh, decade will be any less than that, so... Uh, let me go back a little here. So in 2004, you suffered a stroke that paralyzed your right side. I think it took you almost two years to get back to performing again. And recovering from a stroke is not easy. I, I, I applaud you. I can't imagine the difficulty uh, for, a, for a world-renowned guitar player. Um, I guess one day at a time? Yeah, you've got it. That's, you've just got to keep plowing ahead and... You have to be really, really determined. Yeah. And yeah. with exercise, because the muscles retain memory anyway. Mm-hmm. So all that memory is contained in muscles as well as the brain. So you have to keep going through this process of reminding yourself and your body and your, and your brain. Yeah. Uh, um, what the hell it's supposed to do? Yeah, you're telling it, and it's just not not quite getting it, even though you know it, and uh, and you're, what you're saying is uh, your fingers still remember it. Yeah, and after a while, it's it starts to you know, it becomes like you know, that old thing about you know, it's like riding riding a bike. Yeah, you never really forget, but mm. sometimes you're to remind yourself. Yeah, so it, it's cool. It's a a difficult, lengthy process, but you know, it's. Um, I think I learned a lot about myself and about human nature and, and people uh, through having that um, debilitating illness. Oh, I can't. It's got. It's got to be a life-changing event. It is. It is really. You don't know anything at all. You know, we like to think, oh, we it's kind of, uh, like to think we're kind of indestructible or well, invincible. Well, certainly rock stars, uh, you know, feel that way well beyond uh, the average human. Well, I don't know about that, but it, it's, you know, you get 
thrust into a, a situation where you have no control over anything you do. Yeah, at this point. Yeah. So it makes you realize, you know, uh, thankful we should be and grateful we should be for whatever we can do. Mm-hmm. 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 And uh, I, I think that gratitude and awareness of like growing and being thankful helps the process of healing. You know, well, I you probably had a great support group around you too. I mean, oh, you know, your family absolutely. was there. Uh, and, uh, family, family has always been a big inspiration for me through the kinks and mm-hmm. me and Ray growing up in the big family. So family has always been at the heart of inspiration for me and the kinks. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I want to ask you about the film portrait of you, as well as Brother Ray, that Julian Temple made uh, of you guys I think, oh, yeah. in 2011. Yeah. Yours was called Kingdom Come, and Ray's is Imaginary Man. How did that come about? Well, um, you know, I've known Julian, obviously, for many years. And yeah, he, yeah, he's a big Kings fan, yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, we we thought we'd get together and make a little documentary about where I lived at the time, my philosophical and spiritual ideas, along with the music, and and um, it was a lot of fun to do. And Julian was very receptive to my thoughts and ideas, and it was a lot of fun to do, it really was. Yeah, it seems the big takeaway is your spirituality your and your enjoyment of isolation, especially living on the moors. Well, I did at that time. I did like during my recovery. I spent a lot of time on my own, really, and and in the country. I think there's a lot of power to nature. I think when we can attune ourselves more with nature, mm-hmm. I think we get back a lot from our environment, environment and trees and air, just fresh air and animals and. It is where we and, come uh, from. Well, yeah, you know, we're, we're Earth creatures. Yeah, we come from the Earth. Even though we constantly try to separate ourselves uh, from that, and have been for you know, the entire uh, uh, age of civilization. Yeah, we do, don't we? But, yeah. but in the in the end, that's where we go back to. You know, whatever kind of spiritual ideas people might have, our bodies are ancient, and, and we we grow from the Earth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it's, and it will give you back. You know, when you need energy or to get back into shape or get in some healthier place, we need nature to remind us how to do it. That's a great. That's a great philosophy. So, you were were you always an isolationist, or perhaps loner, or was this just something to help with the healing uh, of your? your I think your it helped because. I'm I'm so used to performing in front of people. I mean, I feel the most comfortable when I'm singing and playing guitar and, and on stage. I think that's really my home. I always feel more at home doing that than anything else mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because that's what I've always done. I, well, I think but, that started with the family, right? You guys all oh, absolutely the, uh, the piano, and uh, I think your mom was absolutely. Uh, quite, uh, quite uh, a singer herself. So, so you are the youngest of the the Davies family, right? Eight eight yeah. siblings, including yourself. That's right. Wow. That's right. Yeah, and it, and and again, you grew up in a very musical family. 
Yeah, I mean, all of my sisters sang or and or played the piano. My dad played banjo and he loved to dance. And uh, it was, you know, it was a very, very um, nurturing, you know, to be a mu- young musician in a family like that. It was very encouraging mm-hmm. and very nurturing place to be. You know, the, the support that both Ray and I got as kids growing up in that sort of environment was amazing. I mean, the influ- musical influences like Hank Williams to Perry Como to Elvis to Chuck Berry, I mean, right across the board. You know, there were amazing influences. It was a really great time to grow up in the 50s. And yeah, it sounds rather idyllic and, uh, and just a fun family dynamic. Because everything was so new and fresh, you know, yeah, we were, com- we were coming out of the war. You're you're you were born in '47, so you probably yeah. still experienced some of the rationing and and uh, the tough times of the British. Yeah, but also you, you, yeah, you also get it. You get informed by it through your family, yeah, and well, stories, yeah. and your uncles right. telling you about about the sister what happened, where they went, and. And uncles that were talking about being in the war, actually yeah. physically, mm-hmm. you know, you get informed by the people around you as well. Yeah. So, and the music was also fresh. There was incredible music at that time, and finding that out the blues and country and western and uh, all the incredible music. Yeah, and then uh, obviously you and a million other British kids fell in with Skiffle. Yeah, yeah Skiffle was big. It was kind of like a, like a, oh, what can I say? It's more like a, an easier sort of sing-along version of country, the country and the blues. Because the blues, was, the early blues music was wonderful because it really helped me as a young player. But the... Um, it was uh, skiffle was a way of, of kind of not popularizing, but an easier way to perform a lot of these songs. Right. right. And um, I thought skiffle was a really big thing because we had a guy in England, a singer called Lonnie Donegan. Oh yes. Who, who I don't know if he ever never made hit it America. over here to America. Yeah. No. No. But he was a I'm big quite influ- influential influence. there. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, because it. Uh, we he introduced was it rock, young, rock Island. Um, uh, yeah, literally. Yeah, yeah. He introduced rock Island Line. Rock, rock Island Line. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Rock mm-hmm. Island Line and mm-hmm. uh, or various other songs that really the the popularized really chain gang songs. Some of them from like old Ledbury yeah. tunes. Yeah. So it was really important, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also, it, you have to remember, he brought humor, the humor element into the music. Because Skiffle was kind of funny as well as... It was entertaining. Yeah, it wasn't good dull, time. Good but, time. Let's have a good time. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But also, there was obviously, you know, more serious aspects sort of music, but it had to, you know, that's why where rock and roll really came of age. On your side, yeah, on your side of the pond, definitely. Yeah, mm-hmm. because it's about 
everything. It's mm-hmm. about pain. Yep, the experience, it's about the, love, the, the local it's experience. Uh, the G, you know, yeah. you're, 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 you know, you're on the uh, the aisle there, and uh, you know, you you are internalizing your experience, uh, but in a similar format to uh, what uh, what Americans were doing with uh, blues and country. Well, yeah, I mean, it's um, you know, I mentioned Hank Williams, but yeah. uh, in my mind, he was like the first rock and roller, really, because he had that, that incredible voice that when you hear it, it makes oh emotionalism, it, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and the humour. Mm-hmm. I'll never get out of this world alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. It's true. It's funny. It's Lots of things. Yeah, you you but, really uh, fell in love with the blues and early American rockers, especially like guitar god Eddie Cochran, right? Oh yeah, I loved him. I loved him. Yeah, yeah. he had something totally unique, you know, and the, the rhythmic structure of the songs was so inspiring, and his, his voice was incredible. Mm-hmm. And um, and he was very different from like Rick Nelson, who I loved, and. Um, and Elvis, he was a bit grittier, a bit. His guitar playing was really ahead of the game, I think, in those days. And he, of course, he was a lot bigger in Europe than he was in America. Yeah. But he had he had hits. I mean, like, come on, come on, everybody is like probably one of the greatest records of all time. I mean, there's many, oh, yeah, yeah many, many, ones, many yeah. great. Yeah. 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 There's been so many um, great performers. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned, Rick Nelson. Yeah. Rick Nelson. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was very inspired by his singing. He had a great voice. And also, he used really great guitar players. His rhythm sections or, or the arrangements uh, players on his records are fantastic. Oh, God, yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, the uh, record he had, Hello, Mary Lou. Mm-hmm. The guitar solo on that is one of the most amazing guitars, rock and roll guitar solos. But it's kind of country. Was that Chet like country. Do you remember? Uh... I think it might have been mm-hmm. James Burton, but ah. don't hold me to it. I might be wrong. We'll go and look and I'll let you know. Yeah, so, let me know. <laughs> so you beat Ray to firm the form the first band, right? Yeah, I mean, Ray was in blues band, um, but was in a, a couple of bands at school with Pete Quaife, and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Ray really started in blues band. That's where he got, you know, learned harmonica. But we're big fans of, you know, people like Sonny Boy Williamson. Right, right. He was a great harp player, and... Um, and John Lee Hooker was an immense influence on us both. Oh yeah. Uh, all these incredible oh, yeah. Yeah. sonic beauty. I mean, it's amazing M- music. Oh, it, it, it really it really meant a lot to uh, your generation of uh, of rock and rollers. Uh, in, oh, it's in absolutely the because it gave life to it, every, everything we heard. Oh, yeah. it's like it's like you know it's amazing. Oh, when we did our story, and there's so there's so, there's so many artists that were influential. That I can't really begin to name them all, but and there's so many great musicians and singers and country people, blues guys, and 
So, you know, of course, I think Chuck Berry was one of the most influential of my generation. Oh, the father of rock and roll, definitely. I mean, really. I mean, he took all the pieces and kind of put it together and uh, he made it all the work. Yeah. And I think, above all, he was funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he, he added humor to it all and it made it work like a clock. You know, um, everything, every, everything worked in harmony. Fantastic. Meanwhile, I was thinking, oh, yes. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> everyday life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He had a way of turning the mundane into an exciting time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you know, mentioned... you never, you you never had an ordinary day when listening to Chuck Berry. No, in fact, I think it because kept you out of school every... quite a bit, didn't it? You know, it, it, it kept making him feel alive, and everything that happened to you was an exciting event. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think you. One of the greatest rock and roll lyricists, I think. I know only people talk about Dylan, but it's of a different. It's coming from a different place. Oh, Chuck. Oh, as a lyricist. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Well, he told stories that uh, he picked out from country and uh, uh, kind of. Uh, that's that's you know that's the basis of of country music is uh, telling a, a you know a three act uh, play in in two minutes. Yeah. Minutes, you know? so, I mean. The, he was a genius at creating imagery of ordinary situations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you, when you listen to it, it sounds, wow, you think it's easy, but you try and do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, keep, you know, again, you, you got to do it in like three minutes or less. That's uh, that's not easy. Uh, you know, you, if you want to write it out all day long, sure. But, uh, you know, this is this is uh, this is really, uh, really there's tough so many material classical, to make. So many classical gems yeah. in like too much monkey business. Oh, yeah. It's funny. It's it's clever. Mm. And it's. It's uplifting. It's you know, it's amazing influence. Chuck Berry on guitar players and singers and and performers. And it's always cabaret, almost like it's like the, the complete rock and roll experience. Really, Chuck Berry. Well, you guys brought something new and unique uh, to uh, to the to the art form itself, and that was musical. Uh, you know, that early generation of uh, British rockers, you know, grew up on the musical. And as we talked about um, earlier, with your family sitting around the piano, I'm sure there was a lot of that going on. Oh well, yeah, there was a lot of um, uh, you know English folk music mm-hmm. as well, which mm-hmm. played an important part mm-hmm. because really our family. Get-togethers. I mean, Dad would bring in a crate of ale or beer and <laughs> put his, his friends, and yeah. and then they, people people would sing their own favourite songs of Doris Day or you know, whatever it was. It was all mm-hmm. important, and the the it wasn't the Kinks virtually started out like drawing off roots like a lot of folk players did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Folk music, people, play, you know, in small communities, had to, you know, pick up a, a banjo or a, even a piece of wood and bang it against. <laughs> so, 
Not too you know, different, we, similar from the yeah the 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 skiffle uh, uh, world. It's exactly. whatever you can grab, you know, washboard or uh, like joke uh, band. Yeah, they, joke uh, band. Right, that right, thing right, where joke right, bands come right, from. Right, right. It's so uh, wonderful. I mean, so we mentioned Peter Quay uh, briefly here, and the, and I th- the three of you actually start off as the the kinks. I know Mick Avery comes in later. Uh, yeah, and there's Ray on one side. You on the other side, not too dissimilar uh, from what I've read about your early football exploits, uh, and, and Pete in the middle, right? Yeah, that's kind of. I think Pete doesn't get a lot of credit, but I think he was very, very impo- totally important because he was he was like the glue that held me and Ray together, mm-hmm. and uh, he he was a really fine musician. And, uh, you know, like right from the days of Dwayne Eddy, I mean, he was an incredible influence. How he changed the whole tone of the, the guitar. And uh, and uh, I think his, his influence was, was amazing. And and Pete really held the kinks together in, in a lot of emotionally as well. And, and he had a great sense of humor. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't... Over, you know, overemphasize the need for humor in music. Oh yeah, because because it gives it longevity, it gives it coloring, it gives it an emotional depth. It's yeah, you know. I think we're missing uh, quite a bit of that in today's music. It's uh, it's a little too perfected, a little too unemotional, uh, you know, a little too dependent on machinery. I no, I do I do agree. I think that's. That's an important aspect of decade. Mm-hmm. My my new album, my new old album, <laughs> uh, uh, decade because we tried to keep a lot of that organic kind of almost not throwaway, but things you think might not work sometimes do work. Yeah. Those accidents that music needs, those happy accidents. It seems like it's going in the wrong place and then all of a sudden it makes you feel good. You know, it's like these intangible feelings of music. You can't um, punch them into a computer and no. deliver it out the other end. Being, you know, it's like human. Humanness is, you know, is important. Well, it's the natural world that we were talking about earlier, and and what absolutely what, what rock and roll did um, from a musical standpoint is is it it, it was all in emotionally. Uh, that was the point of it. Uh, you know, we had gone from uh, you know from classical uh, and and even uh, jazz starts you know bringing in a bit of that, and you know of course the folk and country, the the uh, the lower classes of of musical tradition, if you will. Uh, but then rock and roll just comes in and just takes the the world by storm. Yeah, it's, it's phenomenal how how it it happened. It's between, you know, I remember sitting around the front room with my brothers and sisters. And my sister Dolly would play a, a Fat Domino record, mm-hmm. and it transported me. I thought, what the hell is that? And I didn't didn't know how to do anything but dance. It's like incredible. His voice and the, the sound of the band. Oh. 
Oh, Someone oh, yeah. incredible. Yeah. Oh, all those guys. Uh, Little Richard. Yeah. One of my favorites. Oh, just, Little Richard. Uh, no. Yeah. His voice. Yeah. You know, he really inspired uh, Paul McCartney and the way you know, he helped the way that he sang. We all tried to copy all those incredible notes he used to reach. And they all informed our own style of performing. Yeah. Yeah. Little yeah. Richard, Richard. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah, and all those guys, uh, along with the blues, influenced you guys, and then you guys, pre, you know, brought something completely new to it, uh, which you know we we over here call the British Invasion. Uh, yeah, I don't, <laughs> you know, that's a funny term, but I know what you mean. I know, but but still, so so in '64, you guys signed with Pie Records uh, with the help of Shel Tommy, but uh, I think drummer Mickey Willits leaves and is eventually replaced by Mick Avery, and we have the classic yeah, that's, Kings that's right. lineup. I, oh, you changed the name from the ravens to the kinks and yeah the rest is history as they say they say yeah and then the third single is you really got me and you guys right. become overnight legends and if you just had that one as, as if that was just a one-hit wonder i think you all would still be remembered uh most of our listeners know while the song's a standout in and of itself it's this new quote-unquote sound that pours out of those old tinny little speakers. Uh, and we know that can be attributed to yourself in a, a crafty razor blade. Yeah. 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 So you took a razor blade, you, you cut the back of, uh, of the speaker uh, um, uh, cone and, uh, and yeah. created this new uh, small change. And it's a, it's a, it seems like a simple trick. But like a lot of things in history, sometimes the smallest change makes the biggest impact. That's very true, that. And also, I didn't know what I was doing. It could have just all sounded like, a, you know, I don't know, like nothing. Yeah. Or I didn't even, didn't even imagine for a minute that it actually worked or what it would do. So I was the most surprised person in the world when I actually came out with that, out with that rasping tone and i thought oh wow yeah i think it wasn't until you heard it on the radio that you went oh that's right i think you got something here that's true that when it came out i heard on the radio 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 for the first time i thought wow yeah a bit of me recorded it and spent obviously spent a lot lot of time on it and yeah Amazing. Yeah, amazing time. I want to add another thought here. You know, everyone knows the Beatles, the Stones, and the Who are the big triad of uh, what we call the British invasion. But looking and looking back 50 years, uh, and everyone can take the time to barely scratch the surface, and all of a sudden, you guys should be counted right there with the other three. Um, well, thank you. I. I Agree with it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but in, in some ways, you know, it's funny, in some ways, long term, it might serve you better, uh, you know, at least to American audiences. Uh, you know, you're this huge well of mystery that with just one look will cause someone interested to get a full story of the band and, and an immense sense of pleasure and satisfaction as song after song, album after album you know, reveals itself as a towering achievement. Oh, oh, thank you. Don't say so. Um, but I mean, with the, looking back over the King's career, we've covered so many topic topics and albums like Muswell Hillbillies and 
yeah. and uh, Arthur. Mm. And, yeah. I mean, uh, it's just scratches the surface of the music we we did together, and and um, it's an immense journey. Yeah, I think it just comes Fantastic. down to the 1965 American Federation of Music band that is the only reason why you're not there, at, you know, in the first thought, you know. But, hey, you made it into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on your on your first uh, 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 year of eligibility. That shows just how important uh, you guys are. You're the godfathers of 90s Britpop. Uh, I don't think there's uh, uh, anybody who would disagree with that. Uh, you know, and it's just you know you you, you know you're you're just as towering uh, of figures as uh, as any of those guys. So you've had oh, seven so so you've had seven solo titles, along with a few uh, live albums, and now two albums of of unearthed artifacts. Are there more unreleased Dave Davies uh, tracks hidden uh, under the bed? Or? There might there might be a few, but I think we kind of on decades. I think we have kind of pulled. You know, most of the good stuff. Yeah, I mean, most, most people don't know that your first uh, solo album is n- until 1980, uh, AFL 1, So decade kind of starts, really, the writing process just b- before the album, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's even a, a track I recorded for the AFL album on decade I didn't use. Oh really? Okay. So, All right. So they kind of it goes right up to the album really, a lot of corners off a decade. Well but, I can't you know, wait to hear that. So of course, I have not, to ask because I'm no special than any other interviewer, and let's face it, everyone is hoping. So earlier this year, Ray said you guys are headed into the studio along with Mick. Is how's that going? Well, I get back to UK. I've been over here for a few months. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I'm going back back to London for a bit, and uh, me and Rob get together and just see where we go next. And we have uh, for the screen uh, a new edition, yeah, yeah, coming out, Mm -hmm. coming out in October as well. So it's going to be interesting time. So yeah, October is big for you guys. Uh, you know, you've got you've got your son's uh, album. You said's coming out. You've got decades yep. coming out, and Village Green Preservation Society. So, it sounds like a sunny afternoon for Kinks fans <laughs> this October. So, <laughs> so you're 71 years young, still out living the rock and roll life. A Hall of Famer, a living legend, Dave Davies. Uh, it's a supreme pleasure having you on Deeper Digs in Rock with us today. Oh, it's been great. Um, um, I really feel you're doing a fine job there, Christian. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Hopefully we'll see you out on the West Coast on a tour soon. That'd be great, yeah. You take care, my friend.
that clip uh, is called Cradle to the Grave from the new album Decade by Dave Davies, out October 12th, 2018. Um, such an honor to talk with him. He was such a big part of big moments in rock history. Of course, Sir Ray Davis gets all the usual accolades as the primary songwriter, and he certainly deserves that, I suppose. But I know a bit about band dynamics and how hard it is to find anything that finds magic, and the kinks are all magicians. Ray is very much indebted to Dave and to Mick, and of course, the dearly departed Peter Quaife, who was a monk playing peacemaker as best he could between the warring parties when he was alive. Well, let's hope the spirit of Pete is with the three and will keep them well-respected men in the studio. I would love to see a Kinks reunion for one more go out on the road and give the people what they want. Okay, that's it for this edition, and I hope you stop back again for more Deeper Digs in Rock. I'm Christian Sway, the rock and roll archaeologist, and as always, keep up the rockin'. Hey diggers, Christian Swain here with a short pause for a great cause. We believe music education for young people is an investment in a better future for all of us. If you listen to our podcasts, chances are you agree. Little Kids Rock has transformed the lives of more than 650,000 public school students by bringing music education into their schools. Little Kids Rock trains teachers in underfunded schools to teach kids the music they love. From the Beatles to Bruno Mars, Led Zeppelin to Lady Gaga, Chuck Berry to Chance the Rapper. Little Kids Rock has become a national movement to restore, expand, and innovate music education in public schools across America. Visit littlekidsrock.org and learn more about how you can help put music where it belongs, in our schools. Thank you, and let's keep up the rockin' right into the next generation. Deeper Digs in Rock, produced and hosted by Christian Swain. All sound design and incidental music by Busy Signal Studios. All quotes performed by actors unless noted. Playlists can be found at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please purchase these great and important tracks. All songs, clips, and references can be found on our show notes. Please visit rnrap.com for more information.